Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Dirt Radio. Organic. Friends of the Earth. Activism. Underground. Political action. Necessary. Wind farms. Indigenous struggles. Land rights. Anti-nuclear. Nanotechnology. Climate change. Coal barons. Mining magnates. Activists. Educating. Communities. Transforming. Communities. Mobilising a sustainable planet. Get involved now. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. We're Dirt Radio, and uh, I'm John Langer. Welcome to another show. Dirt Radio, of course, is sponsored by Friends of the Earth in Melbourne. You can check them out at foe.org.au. In November this year, voters in Victoria head to the polls. I don't have to tell you it's a state election. And I also don't have to tell you that Victoria is going through some massive changes Friends of the Earth believes that this election in particular is an opportunity for all political parties to demonstrate leadership on the interconnected issues of climate, energy, social justice, and the economy. And to show how these issues are interconnected and how they can be foregrounded in this coming state election, FOE is having an election-focused campaign launch this Thursday. The campaign's called Six Months to Make a Difference, and the launch will be presenting the faux vision for Victoria, a state that works for the community, the climate, the environment, and the economy. Cam Walker is campaign's coordinator for Friends of the Earth here in the state of Victoria, and I might add a regular visitor to Dirt Radio, and he's with us today in the studio to walk us through some of the key issues being addressed in the Six Months to Make a Difference campaign. Good morning, Cam. Good morning, John. Now, I want to start with a bit of an overview of the last few months of policy announcements and policy making by the Andrews government. A bit of groundwork, I guess, I'm, we're putting together. There's been some very puzzling and I, must, I myself would think downright regressive policy announcements and decisions. Let's start with the state budget. It was handed down earlier this month. And let's begin with something everyone's, I think, listening probably is experiencing, the massive congestion on the roads, the unreliable, un- under-resourced public transport. The budget, well, what happened? It was pretty light on when it comes to public transport. Um, I think that what's happening is this government has a really good progressive social agenda. So there was a lot of money in previous budgets for family violence, domestic violence. Uh, This year had a stronger focus on mental health. So I think that program is really fantastic and it's really important that we properly fund those those responses in our community. Uh, We weren't expecting a great deal in terms of environment in this budget, so we weren't really surprised. But um, there has been some good money and we're seeing the initial work on Metro One, of course, which is this really important uh, addition to our public transport network. Um, We really need to see a lot of public transport money in the next budget. We weren't expecting it in this one and Metro Mm. One is underway, but we really need to get on with the other part of the the kind of the the complex Mm. kind of, you know, jigsaw puzzle that is Melbourne public transport, and that's the Metro 2 tunnel. Uh, So in the next budget, we'd want to see some funding for that. Mm -hmm. 
A few other things that uh, I think I registered from some of the things that I've read have been somewhat disappointing in in this particular budget. What 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 are a, a couple of other things that's ended up being a bit disappointing? Well, they, it was good that they on, on the environment front, which was very skinny. You know, it was very minimal. Uh, what was good was the additional funding to manage our park system, our national parks. But what it just did was bring it up to the pre- previous levels before it had been gutted by the coalition when they were in power. So, you know, it would have been good to see additional money because, of course, costs go up and with climate change, land management is going to become more and more essential and, you know, that would have been really good. There's still a political desire to build the North East Link uh, by this government and, uh, you know, that's a real worry in terms of there was there was nothing in this budget to kind of, you know, relieve um, mm. attitude, concern about that. Obviously, they're proceeding with the Westgate Tunnel, which has been opposed by many in the West and groups like Friends of the Earth for being, you know, poor policy. Um, so apart from that, it was pretty skinny uh, on environment. There were some good e-waste um, initiatives, but really not a lot else. And they, what about the things like um, the VRED and so on, like th- th- those sorts of things, climate mitigation? Yep. So we weren't really expecting there to be much money for the VRED, for the state target. Um, the way that's been rolled out at present is through the auctions process, and that is underway, and that's where companies bid in to generate a particular uh, amount of uh, renewable energy for the state. And thankfully, under the current government, renewable energy is underway again at commercial scale. So the previous government, the coalition, they were in power for four years and they basically killed off the the development of the renewable energy industry. So it's underway again and that's been primarily driven through um, the, uh, the auctions process. Um, the other thing I think in there around how it might play out and how you know things might be delivered is, of course, we need to see some be- better money for battery storage, and you know that would be the other thing that would be really great to see. There is some good initiatives by the state government in this regard, but uh, the future really is it isn't coal, it isn't gas; it's re- a mix of renewables, storage, and efficiency. Something else uh, in relation to the budget is um, to do with wind energy and so on. What What's the policy there? So that's all driven under the VRET, the state renewable target, and that's the auction process is driving that. I think we have a government that is enthusiastically embracing wind energy, and that is just fantastic to see. So they're being approved. Um, there's been a, a some minor changes to what was called VC82, which were these anti-wind laws that Ted Ballew mm-hmm. put in when he mm-hmm. was the Premier. They've tweaked them rather than got rid of them across the board, um, but they have changed some of the decision-making processes because that was all decentralised down to local councils who often don't have the skills, the time or the resources mm-hmm. to be able to assess large projects like that. It's good that that's come back to a central authority, being the planning minister. Um, and, you know, the approvals process for the, this sector, like anything, is pretty robust. So what we're seeing now is the beginning of new projects getting underway, Projects that had previously been approved but not been able to be built because there was no financing for them, that's now changing because of the certainty. The ACT has a really high renewable energy target, so they're looking to Mm. source Mm. renewable energy from Victoria, ACT obviously being a very small space. So, you know, we're back in business when it comes to renewables in Victoria, and we have to hope that continues. Very worryingly, the coalition keeps saying they will get rid of the VRET if they're elected in November. And that is just ridiculous because renewables are are climate-friendly energy, over time, they will drive down the cost of electricity. 
They diversify the grid. They bring income to farmers who host them. They share the benefits of energy production, not just in one place, but across the regions. They bring rates uh, to local councils. Like it's just a win-win. It's an absolute no-brainer to support the development of wind energy in this state. We have fantastic resource. We have landowners that want to host turbines. And so this is just ideology getting ahead of good policy. And that's really disappointing. I think anyone that reads the media knows there's this convert. Well, there's a Civil war is probably too strong a word, but you know there's a contest between the hard right conservatives and the so-called moderates in the Liberal Party, mm, mm-hmm. and who will win. And anti-wind sentiment is a hallmark of the far right and that kind of you know the extremist conservative element. So let's hope that's not dominant, uh, mm, and that the coalition mm. kind of strengthens its position and gets rid of its position to get rid of the VRET. I, you've an, actually anticipated the question I was going to ask was what, what in relation to not so much the current government but the opposition, all these policies – uh, there seems to be a, actually a policy vacuum in some respects. There absolutely is. So you look to the state conferences or the councils um, of each of the parties to deliver their their platforms. The Greens, of course, already have a really sensible and, and forward-thinking energy policy. The ALP state conference is on this weekend, so we'll know a lot more details uh, next week. But, of course, they do support the VRED and they do support the ban on fracking and they do support the moratorium on onshore conventional gas drilling. The coalition in contrast trust, they didn't say very much at all about environment or climate change at their state um, council, um, which happened a couple of weeks ago. But they are continuing to say they will respect the, the ban on fracking, but they will lift the moratorium on onshore conventional gas drilling. We think that's a bad move. And there's strange rumblings about, you know, wanting to keep existing coal-fired power stations open. And there's actually contrasting statements out in, in the public realm through mm. the media. But, you know, that's that's ridiculous. Just in the last few days, um, people like Tony Abbott have been saying they should keep the Liddell power station in New South Wales open and, if need be, nationalise it and, yeah, and then yep. possibly sell it on to another company. You know, ridiculous kind of interventions mm. for mm. this really dirty, failing energy source. And there have been some comments along that line that we well, we need to keep the existing three power stations open in the valley and potentially build new so-called Healy or so-called, mm-hmm. uh, you know, carbon-friendly yeah. uh, coal stations. I want to ask about that because my, my perception in a way, you have in, in fact suggested that the current government has uh, engaged in a whole lot of positive things. But there's also kind of swings and roundabouts policy making here. On the one hand, you have the moratorium on fracking and the extraction of on-seam coal, uh, onshore coal seam gas. On the other hand, just in the last month, they've announced they want to commercialize carbon capture and storage on the east coast of the state. And it's just been announced recently they want to open up gas exploration and drilling on the west coast. So what's going on? So what they're trying to do is have it both ways, but really on a deeper level, what it highlights is the fact that even in the ALP in the 21st century a very large number of people in the party just don't get it. You know, they don't understand the imperatives of climate change. If on the one hand you say climate change is real and you rebuild the Climate Change Act, which they have done, it's just consistent that you then don't open up new areas of fossil fuel development. So that is really disappointing, this announcement that they'd open up state waters kind of to the west of Melbourne, around the Port Campbell area through Mm -hmm. to Warrnambool to um, gas exploration. That will happen from February onwards. 
onwards, that's just a, a really bad policy decision. It will have no impact at all on prices for the foreseeable future. Um, even if they open up in Feb- February and on February 2, a company steps forward to say, yes, we want to, you know, explore and drill, you know, it's going to take years and years. So it will have no impact. We've got to get on with the real job, which is shifting to renewables, storage and efficiency. Um, so it's, you know, poor move and it starts to look like kind of bubble politics. And I think they're in a difficult place where they need to be uh, seen to be, quote, open for business. So they're doing things like that. They're also promoting this carbon capture and storage project, CCS, offshore from 90 Mile Beach. Yes. Uh, and they've put money into that, state and federal money. CCS is being aggressively promoted by the Turnbull government. They're really the architects of this and they're the ones that are most committed to this. But the Victorian government has gone along for the ride. That's really disappointing because mm-hmm. um, in the last 10 or so years, carbon capture and storage has absorbed $1.3 billion billion dollars of public funds in research and development and it's going nowhere fast so the you know there's the point where you just say let's stop throwing Mm. good money at this and let's get on with the stuff that works like renewables and efficiency so yeah disappointing the commitment to carbon capture and storage at the state level has been supported by the ALP when they're in power and then the coalition when they're in power. Now the ALP again. So, you know, it's been kind of very long held um, in, in both the main parties. But um, the government is committing to us that, um, you know, this current project, um, if it doesn't go anywhere, then, That's you good. know, they, then they'll just kind of let it sit and not fund future development. Cam, let's have a break and we'll come back with a few more things. Where, uh, we've got lots lots to talk about today. It's that time of year again. It's Radiothon. And out of the blue, we're running our annual fundraising trivia night. It's on Wednesday the 23rd of May at 6pm at Highlander Bar in the city. So jump on our Facebook page, Out of the Blue, for more information and tickets. Hope to see you there. Come along and have some fun. This is Dirt Radio, and today we're talking with Cam Walker. He's the campaign's coordinator for Friends of the Earth here in Melbourne, and we're in the middle of a discussion related to the launch of Foe's state election campaign, Six Months to Make a Difference, that happens this Thursday at the Fitzroy Town Hall at 6.30. And as I understand it, there ain't a seat available at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, it's completely chockers, which is fantastic. Absolutely. It's it's great that people are so keen to come along and hear what's going on. Now, let's move on to the the actual, I guess, the proposals that Foe's putting forward. And... uh, the leading headline, if I can call it that, for the campaign, the six months to make a difference, as it appears on the FOE website, is Victoria, a state that works for people, climate, environment, and economy. And you break the campaign into a number of, I guess I would call them separate areas, but very importantly, interrelated policy positions, and that can be responded essentially by the to by the political parties. Now, the campaign covers a heap of areas, too many, in fact, to detail here. But I think what's really important for me anyway is that the issues being addressed individually are, in fact, interlinked and interconnected. So we've just got a time enough, I think, to give us a synopsis. You lead with, in the, in the proposals, you lead with climate and energy justice. Briefly explain 
what this is all about? Because I think you're hinting at, at exactly these things already. Yes. So at this point, our energy system in Victoria is very reliant on brown coal. And the Victorian government through the VRET is starting to drive this transition to renewables. And that is fantastic, but they need to radically accelerate it. We know that 100% renewables is technically possible. And with the remarkable developments in energy storage in the last couple of years, we've had a game changer, you know, in terms of the, the debate. Only a few years ago, people were saying, oh, renewables can't do baseload. And that's just not an argument that makes any sense anymore. We've got to lift ambitions substantially, so we've got to deliver on the VRET targets, uh, 25% by 2020 of our energy coming from renewables, 40% by 2025. We've got to get on with that, so that's the auctions process that I mentioned before. Mm. We need a transition plan because our economy is in transition. We've seen the collapse of the automobile industry here in Victoria. The coal industry, there are going to be continued closures of the three remaining plants. Hazelwood is gone now. The other three are Mm. continuing to age there will be a transition there and there's a transition coming in the native forest industry as well so a smart government doesn't ignore that a smart government looks at the way things are going and plans for it and puts in place transition strategies and inherent in that is our call for a climate budget so this is something from this budget we were a little bit disappointed wasn't in there but we're saying well Unless you track how climate change is impacting on your economy, you're kind of driving blind in terms of doing your future planning for the state. So we're arguing the government needs to assess what is climate change costing us? And that's things like heat waves leads to greater deaths, particularly amongst vulnerable people, elderly Mm. communities. Mm. That leads to impacts on the public health system. It leads to impacts in terms of even counselling and and people needing help. uh, Storm events, droughts, floods that are climate-related or I impact. Also, I, sorry, I, I put, in, put in here food security food as well. Food security Very as important. well, yes. Yes, because, of course, farming is becoming more and more tenuous already. And I live in central Victoria and I, I look up there. Um, there's been some really interesting work done by the Grain Innovation Board, so not you know a bunch of kind of raving greenies, and they're already saying the wheat zones are shifting, you know, and areas that used to produce wheat are no longer able to do it under climate change. So we need to track those costs and then we need to actually incorporate that into our decision-making. And if you do actually do that and you say climate change is costing us X number of billion dollars a year of taxpayer funds and we need to stop funding bad projects, which means not building northeast mm. links and Westgate tunnels and so on and shifting money over into public transport and resilient infrastructure. So, so there's that aspect. But I think more broadly for, you know, average people out on the streets, everyone knows Melbourne is growing. Everyone knows that pretty soon we're going to be bigger than Sydney at the rate where we mm. are expanding. Mm. And this is our last chance to get it right in terms of really robust public transport infrastructure because, you know, to buy back land or drill under land is hideously expensive. So we've got a lock in place that heavy rail out to the airport, you yep. know, the Metro 2 link, completing the, yep. the heavy and right light rail network that we need. There's been very few expansions of rail lines over the last couple of decades. There have been some good things under this government, actually, but we need to complete that network. We need mm-hmm. to reassess how our bus network integrates with the light and heavy rail. We've got to do all that work, and time is running out to achieve that. And then as Melbourne grows, we need to put in place protection for the fringe areas and create additional parks for urban populations Mm. that more and more are going to need access to green space. So in our mind, that means creating the Great Forest National Park 
but also getting on with a ring, a series of parks that would ring Melbourne, mm, that would mm. stop the sprawl and that would bring benefits to everyone, whether you live in Werribee or whether you live in Nidri or whether you live in Healesville. So we see there's an environmental justice angle there that we need to have open space for all communities, mm, not just mm. the wealthier communities of the eastern suburbs. This really relates to a second, I guess, a second plank of or a second area that you're looking at in, in terms of policy related to land and water. Just very briefly, just tell us a bit about that. So um, obviously the way we're managing our native forests isn't working. You know, we're treating them as, as pulp factories, basically. Um, philosophically, we don't object to native forest logging, but we want to see it driven by what's called low-volume, high-value uses, so not putting 60 or 70% of the trees into the, the pulper and turning that into paper. Yes. Uh, and, you know, having a small volume of high-quality logs, we want to see a native mm. forest industry based on high-quality logs. Plantations need to provide the pulp, but also other things like industrial hemp offer incredible opportunities, uh, as does bamboo, but certainly now we have commercial growers of industrial hemp that can produce fibre here in Victoria. We need to get on with that transition. Mm, very we need, interesting. Yeah. We need to stop using 80 to 120-year-old trees to make our office-grade paper. You know, that is a concept that made sense probably in the 1940s. It doesn't mm, make sense now. Mm. So we've got to transition that. And of course, as climate change kicks in, uh, ecosystems are under ever greater stress. And a key thing to keeping ecosystems healthy is... Pr- to provide adequate protection, but also to provide adequate water into our rivers. So that's Mm. another aspect we're focusing on the Murray because, of course, the Murray drains about two-thirds of Victoria. not quite two thirds, but you know, a lot of or everything north of the divide, making sure there's adequate environmental flow in the rivers to sustain their ecological processes. Right. right. And look, again, all of these things are interrelated, and you've hinted at this. Uh, another plank of the of the uh, of the proposals has to do with sustainable cities. You've mentioned a few of the things that are connected to sustainable cities. Other things that are connected to that that particular part of the campaign? So we have uh, an interesting project. It's kind of like um, crowdsourcing ideas. It's called Get On Board, and you can find it on the website or just do a web search, Get On Board. And we have five key planks of that. One is to to finish the the metro public transport network, particularly Metro 2. A key plank of that is also getting freight off-road and onto rail. That will have incredible health benefits for people in congested areas, particularly in the inner west. And then a range of other measures that will see healthy transport um, alternatives such as walking and cycling actually being privileged as much as the car is at present Mm. under Mm. planning systems and funding from the state Mm. government. That's a big one. That is a really big one and a long-term project too, Cam. Yes, I'd say. Now, look, again, something you've mentioned already, but another platform, another policy area, the transformation of the economy because the, the banner is Victoria, the state that works for people, climate, environment i think very importantly importantly for the for any political party they always look for the economy so what do you see what's the sort of transformation that's going to be taking place there very briefly we live in a really interesting time where the whole neoliberal let's let 
you know, governments step back and let the market decide everything. You know, people are over that now. We realise it hasn't been good for average people and it's been disastrous for the environment. So I think that people are interested more in how the government intervenes to ensure the market isn't tightly controlled but is steered in the right direction. There's things like extended producer responsibility. So, you know, your, your smartphone can actually be mm. properly recycled, you know, when you upgrade every couple of years. Uh, recycling actually works and works here rather than being reliant to ship it off to China and obviously become, you know, beset to global kind of, you know, uh, trade uh, tendencies that happen there and to support local production of food and materials. And so we really support local procurement as a, as a way forward with major projects. But also in that uh, sense of the economy, the economy, you know, to quote Mar- Margaret Thatcher, you know, she used to say there's there's no such thing it's as community, the, yeah. society, there's only economy. We'd say, well, clearly that was wrong. We exist um, through our work, but we don't exist to work. So it's essential that we have a focus on communities, on building resilience, on building tolerance on building conviviality within communities and then making sure that the economies that that then sustain communities are also sustainable and as i said before that involves governments intervening where changes are happening because of global trends and intervening early with transition plans mm. rather than waiting until the factories start to close so it's forward thinking government and really engaged community very, very important stuff. And uh, let's finish up by, because we do have to finish up, uh, just give us the details of the launch, when, where, and any special guests. Uh, there's a couple of, of um, great guests. There's Tony Birch, who's an Indigenous academic, and Kate Orty, who was the uh, Commissioner for Sustainability under a previous government. I remember, yes. Um, both of whom are fantastic speakers and will have, if you like, kind of elevator pitches from all our campaigners who will talk about the various components of the six months to make a difference. Um, at this point, it is full, but if you jump on the Friends of the Earth Melbourne website, you'll see an RSVP option for the uh, event. It's this Thursday at Fitzroy Town Hall. Um, I've forgotten the exact time. 6.30. 6.30. Thank you. Yep, 6.30, 8.30, I think. Okay, yes. And uh, jump on the website, RSVP, and then we'll let you know if any spaces come up. I reckon it's going to be really inspiring. I feel like there's a lot of energy at Friends of the Earth. We've got an amazing team of people. We've got great enthusiasm. We've been kicking goals and we've been winning things like the ban on fracking and getting mm, the V red mm. up and running. So, you know, winning leads to winning. You know, when you, you when your team's on the bottom of the ladder all the time, it's hard to get out on the field. We feel like we're really getting some good results and so we want to get out there and, yeah, it'll be a good chance to hear from a really good bunch of people. Fantastic. It sounds really inspiring. Thanks for being on, on the show, Cam. And I've been talking there with Cam Walker. He's the faux campaign coordinator and details of the six months to make a difference campaign, as he said, is on the faux website, faux.org.au. And you'll be hearing a lot more about the six months to make a difference campaign. We're running an ongoing series of interviews with the key faux campaigners and policy commentators all the way up to the November election. The first show in June, the Dirt Radio Show, will be talking to the Act on Climate campaigners and we'll be talking about how that campaign connects to the next Victorian election. Well, that's it for us. We're Dirt Radio. We'll be back next week, next Tuesday at 9.30.